Let's go to uh, take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 3 now. What we're going to look at today is what or who causes men to depart from sin. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Let's uh, stay on this for a second here. Whosoever is born of God, whosoever is what? Born of God, doth what? Not commit sin. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And the reason for this is, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Why can he not sin? Because he's born of God. Sin, all men should confess, if they are honest, is a very strong influence over both their soul and their body. For none can have lived any earthly existence and not have had the power of sin exercise its control over them. The sin in a man also ultimately is that which has separated him from God. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, we read, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. When a man sins, it separates himself from God. Hence, for men to depart from sin and its stronghold on them, God must intervene in their lives. As none of us on our own has the power, the individual power, to break sin's reign over us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, we read, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Whosoever is born is the Greek word yen menos. It means to beget, to bring forth. It's used of men begetting children, more rarely of women giving birth to children. Practically then, it means to bring life from oneself. Thus, when a man is born of God, it means that the life he now possesses has its source in God. Whereas also a man, through a creative act of God, is born from above. Boy, can we stop there for a second? When a man is born of God, it literally means that he is born from above. You all have parents, right? And you were born from them. Them. Because of your relationship with your parents, you have a very intimate connection to them. When a man is born of God, he is literally born of God. This is not a religious term. It is a fact and a reality. If someone is born of God, they are literally born of God. See, this is important to understand simply because without being literally born of God, there is no chance of entering heaven. Jesus also teaching men, if they will hear his divine words, that without being born again and born of God, no man can enter the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, verse 3, we read, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, or pay attention and pay attention, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Are you born again? Are you born of God? You might go to church. 
You might have read your Bible, but are you born of God? Do you have a sweet, intimate relationship with God? Or is God a faraway thing? If any then want freedom from sin and entrance into heaven, they must be born of God. The criteria for heaven is not if a man considers himself good enough for it, but if he has received from God a spiritual nature that will allow entrance into it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, we read, Now this I say, brethren, now listen to this, that flesh and blood, it's what you are, right? That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So if you're a man of only flesh and blood, can you enter heaven? No, you can't. Corruption will not be allowed to enter incorruption. God's kingdom, as God is himself spirit, is a spiritual kingdom that will not allow the corruptible flesh of man to come into it. Being born of God is not metaphorical in any respect, but is an experiential reality that will be felt and known in the deepest part of a saved one's soul. Every man also ultimately knows if Christ is really in his heart or not. You know that too. Every man ultimately knows if Christ is really in his heart or not. If Christ is not, the man is not born again. If Christ is not dear to the soul, if Christ is not embraced in the soul, you know that a man is not born again. Hence, those born of God know that their relationship with God is both intimate and personal. And they know this because of the presence of the Spirit of God's Son in their hearts. Thus, for a man who is saved, Jesus' nature, Jesus' own nature will live in him. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, we read, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So why is the Spirit of God sent? Because someone has become a son of God. The Spirit of God is a sign and a seal that a man on earth has been born from heaven. Every true child of God, therefore, who has been adopted by God will be given the same spiritual nature. Now listen to this. The same spiritual nature as composes Christ's resurrected nature. So every true child of God will be given literally the spirit of Christ's resurrected body. In regards to Galatians 4, 6, we read from Barnes, And because you are sons, as a consequence of your being adopted into the family of God and being regarded as his sons. It follows as a part of his purpose of adoption that his children shall have the spirit of the Lord Jesus. The spirit of his son, the spirit of the Lord Jesus, the spirit which animated him or which he invinced. The idea is that as the Lord Jesus was enabled to approach God with the language of endearment and love, so they would be. He, being the true and exalted Son of God, had the Spirit appropriate 
to such a relation. They being adopted and made like him have the same spirit. The spirit here referred to does not mean, as I suppose, the Holy Spirit as such, nor the miraculous endowments of the Holy Spirit, but the spirit which made them like the Lord Jesus. The spirit by which they were enabled to approach God as his children and use the reverent and tender and affectionate language of a child addressing a father. It is that language used by Christians when they have evidence of adoption, the expression of the warm and elevated and glowing emotion which they have when they approach God as their God and address Him as their Father, end quote. See, for a man or woman to be born of God, God's spiritual nature must be deposited in them. God is spirit, and to His sons, His spirit will be given. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we read, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Being born of God is undoubtedly a creative act of God, whereby from the spiritual realm, the Lord creates children of his own. The true children of God, therefore, can accurately and properly call God their father because it is God's own holy nature that now lives in their earthly bodies. By men also being born from heaven and carrying the image of God, which is spirit, they have the hope of being translated into God's kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we read, But we have this treasure, and that treasure is in reference to, in the context, the word of God and the gospel, but it also fits in the context of what we're speaking about here. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Though 2 Corinthians 4, 7 primarily deals with the gospel and the truth of God's word, it is true as well of the sons of God who have been given the Spirit of Christ. Because of the Spirit of God in them, God's newly created sons have the hope of, at Christ's return, having their earthly bodies changed through Christ's power into bodies like unto his own. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, who shall change our vile body, remember, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. God's raised and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, transforming God's newly adopted Son, sons so they can share in their spiritual inheritance by his changing their bodies to resemble his own. Therefore, none who have truly become a son of God on earth by receiving the Holy Spirit will be excluded from obtaining a place in heaven. So that not only will heaven be the home for these new sons of God, but each and every one will have a share and a rightful inheritance in God's kingdom. So also by becoming a joiner with Christ, they shall reign and share with Christ in glory. In John chapter 17, verse 22, we read, And the glory which thou gavest me, this is Christ speaking, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. It is therefore a high and holy honor to become, by God's grace, a child of God. As this will open the door 
to manifold spiritual blessings in the future. And it all begins with a man being given the Holy Spirit as a token and as a proof of his heavenly sonship. In Ephesians chapter 1, 14, we read, which is the earnest, and this is in reference to that spirit, which is the earnest, the token, the pledge, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Back to 1 John 3 now. Doth not commit sin. So the man that's born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. And he can what? He cannot sin because he's born of God. Once a man has become born again of God's spirit, he cannot live in sin as he previously did. If a person is born of God, they cannot live as they previously did. Before I came to Christ, I lived a life of sin. When I accepted Christ and received Christ into my heart, I could not continue to live as I once did. The reason for this is, is because once a person is born of God, God's own holy nature comes into the heart. And therefore, those things that one previously took pleasure in, he cannot. He cannot live in sin as he previously did. This will prove impossible. The reason is, by having God's nature in his heart, which is also referred to here as seed, it will prohibit the influence and control that sin previously had. So what's that tell you? It tells you a person that walks in sin has never been born of God. A person that can easily go back to sin and it not affects his, his conscience or his heart. What does it tell you? So when people fall away from the gospel and it doesn't seem to bother them, what does that tell you? They were never born of God. Might have went to church, might have read their Bibles, but the very fact that they could go back to the life of sin proves that they were never born of God. There are far more in the church that people think are saved that have never been saved. There is a great amount that people assume because of their own self-righteous that they have been saved, but the very fact that all the affections and the lust that they had uh, supposedly before Christ, they have no problem going back to. A man that's born of God cannot continue to live in sin. It's impossible. The reception of the Holy Spirit, consequently, will prohibit the further expansion and spread of sin. And because God's holy nature is stronger than sin, its power and influence will be greater than the flesh nature which previously had ruled the man. God, therefore, by putting his own holy nature in the save, gives them the strength to overcome the rule of sin. It is important for men to understand this, and especially so for the unsaved, because any who still have sin governing their life and consequently have not the influence of the Holy Spirit have not been saved and are not God's sons. Simply because if they were, then God's spiritual presence in them would prohibit their flesh nature from continuing its dominating rule. This is from the Expositor's Greek New Testament on 1 John 3, 9. The germ of the divine life has been implanted in our souls, and it grows, a gradual process, and subject to occasional retardations. 
yet sure, attaining at length to full fruition. The believer's lapses into sin are like the mischances of the weather, which hinder the seed's growth. Yet, he cannot keep sinning as the seed, and this is in reference to the seed of God, the seed of Christ, cannot cease growing, end quote. This spiritual nature, this Holy Spirit, this being born of God, which has God as its source, will then grow within a son of God and will assist him in moving further and further away from the power of sin. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, we read, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. A truly righteous walk is a sign that a man or woman has been born of God. And since God now lives in the saved, to walk righteously before God becomes possible. And like an earthly seed which grows in the soil, the Holy Spirit will expand its influence more and more over the saint, moving a heart which was previously in bondage to sin to be ultimately freed from it altogether. Christ's spiritual nature in the heart of the sinner, consequently, hindering sin so effectively that it can never again wrest control of the soul. Every saved man thus will, because he has God's spiritual nature within him, be able to break the bondage of sin so that he may do God's will. It will prove impossible, though, if men never receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for them to be delivered from sin. For both Christ's death and God's nature is needed to be, to be, uh, to be possessed for sin's reign to be broken. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Thus only if men are born of God can they then break the reign of sin in their souls. We learn then, firstly, when a man is born of God, the reign of sin ends. And the man can now progressively move towards obeying God's will. Secondly, the holy nature of God, therefore, will prohibit any longer the complete and total reign of sin in a man's soul. Thirdly, if men continue to sin, they have never been born of God. This is why none can live in sin and be misled to think that they have ever become a son of God. Because the Spirit is now the dominant force in the believer, its influence and power will not allow sin to continue its previous rule. Any man, therefore, who claims that he is a child of God, yet continues to sin, does not know God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, we read, Whosoever abideth in him, in both God and Christ, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Hence, if sinners really believed God's word and wanted deliverance from their sin, then they would soon realize that the reason sin maintains its powerful influence over their life is because they have no spiritual power sufficient enough to resist it. Whereas every true son of God will have, because of God's nature in him, the power to cease living a life of sin. Observe also that just as 
Sinners will please themselves. Saints will abandon sin to then seek to please the Lord. Who men then seek to please in this life will show you what nature they are actually of. For the children of God, those born of God, through possessing the Holy Spirit, gives them the strength to move towards doing God's will and leaving sin. Whereas those still controlled by sin will leave God in order to continue to serve the sin in themselves. True also it shall be seen and experienced by the saved that greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, we read, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you, this man that's born again of God's spirit and born of God, greater is he that is in you, the man that has God in him, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What causes a son to overcome the world is that the one now in them, Jesus Christ, is greater than it. So also, all other deceptions that are purposed to lead men into sin cannot, because Christ's presence so enlightens the saved that he knows both the path to God and away from God. The Christ spirit in a man's heart, giving him the spiritual discernment necessary to move in the direction of God and not away from Him. The unsaved have not the spiritual discernment, simply because it is spiritual in nature. Barnes has on this verse, 1 John 4, 4, You are of God. You are of His family. You have embraced His truth and imbibed His Spirit and have overcome them, have triumphed over their arts and temptations, their endeavors to draw you into error and sin. The word then in this place seems to refer to the false prophets or teachers who collectively constituted Antichrist. The meaning is that they had frustrated or thwarted all their attempts to turn them away from the truth. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God, who dwells in your hearts, and by whose strength and grace alone you have been enabled to achieve this victory, is more mighty than Satan, who rules in the hearts of the people of this world, and whose seductive arts are seen in the efforts of these false teachers. The apostle meant to say that it was by no power of their own that they achieved this victory, but it was to be traced solely to the fact that God dwelt among them and had preserved them by His grace. What was true then is true now. He who dwells in the hearts of Christians by His Spirit is infinitely more mighty than Satan, the ruler of the darkness of this world, and victory, therefore, over all his arts and temptations may be sure. In his conflicts with sin, temptation and error, the Christian should never despair, for his God will him ensure him the victory." End quote. The children of God, because they have Christ in them, have overcome the snares and traps that the devil uses to deceive men into departing from God's will and disobeying God's word. The Spirit of God's Son, significantly able to move the believer out of not only the internal deception of sin, but also will enlighten him to the deceptions produced by outside sources 
aiming to lead the easily deceived away from obedience to God. This world is also filled with a great many children of disobedience who will boldly assert that a continuance in sin will not block entrance into heaven. Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Willful sinners, consequently, implying there is no eternal consequence for sin, and that men should not worry that it will harm them from getting into heaven. They are wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, we read, Know ye not, or don't you know this, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. It is thus the hope of the hypocrite and not the saint that a life of sin will not prevent entrance into heaven. In Psalm 37, 9 we read, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. The truth of God is unknown to sinners because they have themselves been deceived by sin. Romans 7, 11 reads, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Sin in this world is often so minimized that men are deceived to think that it doesn't offend God at all. This is not the case. In Galatians 6, 8 we read, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What do you sow to? The, the choices that men make on this earth ultimately then will determine if there is any chance of them entering the world beyond it. And again in Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. He then who is not a Christian on this earth should not hope of being received as one in heaven. Deception has always been the primary method the devil has used to lead people into sin. The first sin, which is recorded in the Garden of Eden, was initiated through spiritual deception. And this has continued throughout human history. Sin thus will often be introduced as behavior that shall not harm men. Of course the Lord judges this quite differently. As a great part of the Holy Spirit's purpose, because it is the spirit of truth, is to lead men out and away from the eternal danger of sin. In John 16, 13, we read, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear from heaven, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Ellicott on this verse, John 8, 32, The light of truth dispels the darkness in which lies the stronghold of evil. Sin is the bondage of the powers of the soul. And this bondage is willed because the soul does not see its fearful evil. When it perceives the truth, there comes to it a power which rouses it from its stupor and strengthens it to break the fetters by which it has been bound, end quote. Because sons of God have God's holy nature within them, 
Its light shall open their eyes to sin's deceptiveness. God in Christ in them, therefore, will progressively and continually begin to free those once deceived by sin to see its great error. Thus, by the process of spiritual illumination, sons of God shall be brought to be able to see both spiritual truth as well as the dangers of sin. The light of Christ in the heart, opening up an understanding of God as well as the destructive and fatal path of sin. In John 14, verse 17, we read, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Barnes on this verse, the world. The term world is often used to denote all who are entirely under the influence of the things of this world, pride, ambition, and pleasure. All who are not Christians, and especially all who are addicted to gross vices and pursuits, cannot receive, cannot admit as a teacher or comforter, or cannot receive in his offices of enlightening and purifying. The reason why they could not do this is immediately added, because it seeth him not. The men of the world are under the influence of the senses. They walk by sight and not by faith. Hence, what they cannot perceive by their senses, which does not gratify their sight or taste or feeling, makes no impression on them. As they cannot see the operations of the Spirit, they judge all that is said of His influence is delusive, and hence they cannot receive Him." End quote. God in the spiritual world to the saved and those who have not the Spirit is practically invisible. Hence, if a man has not the Spirit of God, even the very existence of God will oftentimes be doubted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we read, But the natural man, this is the man without the Spirit, but the natural man receiveth not, for he cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. To this man, one who has not God's Spirit, both God and spiritual things of him will be deemed as foolishness. Barnes on this verse, but the natural man. The word natural here stands opposed evidently to spiritual. It denotes those who are governed and influenced by the natural instincts, the animal's passions and desires in opposition to those who are influenced by the Spirit of God. It refers to unregenerate people, but it is also not merely the idea of their being unregenerate, but that of their being influenced by the animal passions or desires. The word sensual would correctly express the idea. The word is used by the Greek writers to denote that which man has in common with the brutes, to denote that they are under the influences of the senses, or mere animal nature, in opposition to reason and conscience. Here it denotes that they are under the influence of the senses or the animal nature, in opposition to being influenced by the Spirit of God. McKnight and Doddridge render it the animal man. Whitney understands by it the man who rejects revelation 
the man who is under the influence of carnal wisdom, receiveth not, does not embrace or comprehend, can't understand it. That is, he rejects them as folly. He does not perceive their beauty or their wisdom. He despises them. He loves other things better. A man of intemperance does not receive or love the arguments for temperance. A man of licentiousness, the arguments for chastity. A liar, the arguments for truth. So a sensual or worldly man does not receive or love the arguments for religion. The things of the Spirit of God, the doctrines which are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the things which pertain to His influence on the heart and life, the things of the Spirit of God here denote all the things which the Holy Spirit produces. Neither can he know them. Neither can he understand or comprehend them. Perhaps also the word know here implies also the idea of loving or approving of them, as is often done in the Scripture. Thus, to know the Lord often means to love Him, to have a full and practical acquaintance with Him. This is the simple affirmation of a fact that while the man remains sensual and carnal, he cannot perceive the beauty of those doctrines. Is this you? This is a simple and well-known fact. It is a truth universal and lamentable that the sensual man, the worldly man, the proud, haughty, and self-confident man or woman The man under the influence or woman under the influence of their animal appetites, licentious, false, ambitious, and vain, does not perceive any beauty in Christianity. So the intemperate man perceives no beauty in the arguments for temperance. The adulterer, no beauty in the arguments for chastity. The liar, no beauty in the arguments for truth. It is a simple fact that while he is intemperate, or licentious, or false, he can perceive no beauty in these doctrines, end quote. In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that what? Obey him. Lastly, it shall be seen that God's Spirit, the Lord's own spiritual nature, will only be given to those who obey God. To these then and these alone will God give the power to defeat sin and to become a child of God. And this is done when God's own nature enters a man. Any then who are led and governed by their flesh, in truth, the beastly nature of the animal world will have sin as their primary driver in life. For this man, God is unnecessary because God is not even known. Sin thus will remain in complete control of an unsaved man until the man turns to God for help because only when God is sought can his power come in to help the sinner and make no mistake about it and make no mistake about it both the Son of God and the Spirit of God are needed for men to be freed from sin. God's presence in a man is therefore critical for any to be both eternally and presently delivered from sin. Amen.